0: The sermon text for today is Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him since he gives thanks to God, while the, other, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God.
1: Stating an obvious fact, it is hard to live together when there are so many differences between us. You find that quickly in marriage, that there is Differences make living together problematic. It's so in the church as well. These differences that we have and and living together in harmony with these differences is is, is a real challenge. Okay, so I found this the hard way in ministry. In Austria, uh, Carol and I were serving um, and we were serving the refugees. So all the refugees were coming out from all these different countries trying to make their way to find asylum in the United States or Canada or Australia. And so there is a host of different nationalities and people, groups there. And, and so when we were there, we'd do door-to-door evangelism and then we'd have a church service. It really wasn't a church in the sense of, of membership and, uh, and church discipline, but we were forming together a people uh, gathering to hear the word preached and celebrating communion. So it was a formation of it. And, um, <clears throat> but a lot of differences in this church. And it was a sweet time. We, you know, we'd be, I'd preach and it would go into, I don't know, half a dozen or ten different languages. It was like Pentecost. You think, this is beautiful. This is like what heaven is about. So harmonious and sweet. Well, quickly learned, I, be, I might be a bit naive. Uh, so we had these Romanian Baptists. <clears throat> these Romanian Baptists, they were great Christians. They were strict. They were. They knew what was right and what was wrong, and this is what you had to do. And, but they suffered for their faith in Romandia under Ceausescu. I mean, they really suffered. They, they were strong believers, and, and they were strong in what you needed to do and what you didn't do. Now, we had these Assyrian Christians over here. These were Christians with an Assyrian descent that lived in Iraq. And, and they were much freer. They were Christians. They suffered uh, under Saddam Hussein. They were Christians, but they were a lot freer in how they lived. Well... When these two dimensions came together, around the table, no less, which I thought was great irony, you know, the table of our Lord, you know, it displays our unity. Well, I thought everything went fine. So I'm out chatting away with people, and the Romanian Baptists are coming to me like a locomotive. I mean, they have a full steam on. They are livid, upset with me, the whole thing. I said, what is the problem? Well, the Assyrian Christians, they got into the excess wine that we were celebrating at communion because we had the refugees, they were hungry. They had the bread and the wine, smoking cigarettes out back, and the Romanian Baptists. I mean, this was a, a big hubbubaloo here. And, and I realized, here we are, we're all Christians. We have different views on these things. They're not unimportant, but they're not essential to the gospel per se. And we had this big conflict. How do we live together when we have these differences? Some things to us are very important, but, but they're not to the level of the gospel. How do we do this? Well, that's what Paul's driving at today. How do we live together in harmony while being okay with differences, agreeing to disagree on certain things? Now, at chapter 12 onward, Paul has been speaking to us about what this new life in Christ is. Listen, all of us are enemies of God. Every single one of us, none of us gave him thanks. None of us honored him. His mercy overwhelmed us and saved us. And through faith in Christ, we were made new. We were made new people, right? We had a new relationship with God. We now have peace with God. We now have a new life to fight sin. We've been given the spirit. We've been given the promises of God. Well, what Paul's teasing out for us in these chapters from 12 on is This new life ought to give way to new relationships. And that's what we've been studying. New relationships with each other, right? We use our gifts for one another. New relationships that are marked by genuine love, one for the other. New relationships, even with those opposing us. As we learned in chapter 12, 17, that we're not returning harshness with harshness. We're not returning evil for evil. We're actually doing good. We're speaking well. We're seeking to reconcile. These new relationships are, are even with the government, no less. We found that in chapter 13, that we can submit to the government, not because the government so great, but because God is great, and God is sovereign, establishing authority. And we learned about how you love the new relationships with the world, that we're to discharge this duty of love. Well, what Paul's talking about here now is he's still speaking about how we love one another in a church that is different. One from the other. We have many, many differences here. So what Paul does is he gives a principle. We're going to find that in the first three verses. There's a singular principle. It's a negative positive. Do not judge, but welcome. Do not judge, but welcome. That's the principle on how we handle differences. Do not judge, but welcome. And then I'm going to give you three reasons why we need to do this. It is not easy. And it will not be easy for us, but it's really important to do it. So we'll look at the principle first. So the first point is simply this do not judge, but welcome. Look what he says in 1, 2, and 3 with me. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment On the one who eats. You you see what Paul's doing here. He's categorizing the church into two groups. Uh, One group is called the strong, and the other group is the weak. Now, what's the difference here? The difference between being strong and weak is really, really the strength or the weakness of your conscience to live in the freedoms that the faith affords. In other words, Paul considers himself strong. Look in chapter 15, verse 1. He says, we who are strong, This is Paul speaking, that he's strong in the gospel. He understands that the gospel alone saves. So whether he chooses to eat meat that may have been sacrificed to an idol or not, he's free to do it, or he's free to abstain. It doesn't matter to him. Or to drink wine that you'll see in chapter 14, 21, or to observe this day or that day. He knows those things don't impact the nature of the gospel. His salvation rests on Christ alone. And so he's free. He's not free to sin. He's not free to say, well, my conscience says I can just lie whenever I want. No, no, no. We're talking, and we'll get to this in just a minute, these these opinions are disputable matters. But the point of it is, he is free to either abstain or to not abstain, to eat or not eat meat. Now, notice what he said, though, in 15, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. Now, who are the weak here? Well, the weak are those with less assurance of faith to walk in the freedoms that the gospel gives. Uh, Probably he's speaking about the Jewish Christians, these Jews who became Christians. And, And they became Christians, they believed in Jesus, but they still thought it was important to abstain from meat. They would only eat vegetables. Because they were in fear that they might be eating meat that crossed the dietary regulations given in the Old Testament. Maybe it was pork. Or maybe it had been sacrificed to a pagan god. And so we're just not going to eat meat at all. It's just better that way. We're going to choose to abstain just in case. Or they, uh, they took one day as greater than another. Probably what he means is that they continued to worship at the church on Sunday, but they also kept the Sabbath regulations on Saturday, just because it's really important. Uh, The weak person has more scruples. They have a more tender conscience. They think they need to do more, even adding to things that God didn't add. Like in Romans 7, we've already learned that we're free from the law, but they felt comfortable still living under parts of it. You kind of get a picture of this person Really, Peter becomes an example for us. So in Acts chapter 10, if you remember that scene, God is about to bring the gospel, and particularly the Holy Spirit, to the Gentiles. And he's preparing Peter. Peter is in the town called Joppa. He's on the roof of a house and he's praying. And he sees a vision. This sheet comes down with these unclean animals on them. And a voice from heaven says, get up and eat. And Peter says, he says, Surely not I, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You see, Peter's still kind of living according to the dietary rules of the Old Testament that God had already declared clean. It's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, according to Jesus in Mark 7, but it's what comes out of a man. Uh, The dietary laws had their place to teach us things that Jesus would fulfill. But the point of it is, Peter was still living under that law. He didn't have freedom that the strong had. Now, what are these issues that he's speaking about? Uh, These opinions, he says, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. Paul's introducing to us a category of behavior called opinions, or the NIV uh, translates it, disputable matters. Or doubtful points. There are things that Scripture is silent to, or that Scripture is not explicitly clear. And these are issues upon which the church has long agreed to disagree. We don't have enough in Scripture to make it clear. It's not a command, it's something, it's not that it's unimportant. In fact, the Reformers in the 16th century called these matters of indifference. Well, they're not. They're not unimportant. They just don't rise to the level of the gospel. So later on in chapter 14, Paul's going to say, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about those things. The kingdom of God is much more important. It's about the righteousness of Christ. So Paul's saying that on these disputable matters, there is room. We can both be right before God and yet disagree on our position, whether it's in this context Abstaining from meat or eating meat? Uh, There's many others that we'll get to for our own day. But Paul's principle here is that if you're in the strong camp, he's saying, welcome, don't despise. And that word despise means don't look down on people that don't have your freedoms. That is a temptation for those of us in the strong camp. We tend to think, well, we understand the gospel. The gospel gives us freedom and we can live this way. And we tend to look down on those who we see are more structured and more scrupulous about how they handle their lives. We tend to almost have an air of, well, arrogance really is probably what it is. Paul's saying don't treat them with arrogance. Don't act arrogant because you have certain freedoms. Don't look down on them as if they're somehow spiritually less mature than you are or less godly than you are. But he chides those who do have scruples. He chides those who do abstain from meat, And he says, don't consider unspiritual those who have freedoms. If they want to have a glass of wine with dinner, they can have a glass of wine with dinner. Don't look down on them. They read a different translation of the Bible than you. Don't look down on them. They have those freedoms. His point is welcome them. And and when he says welcome, he doesn't mean tolerate them. He doesn't mean, well, you can come into the church, but I'm not really going to be close to you. The word welcome actually means you kind of treat like a brother, bust open the circle of friends that you have, that you would welcome them, you would treat them as you would treat one strong like yourself. Now now, hear me clearly on this. When he's talking about not passing judgment, he's not saying, because many of you will say, hey, judge not, you know, you can't be judgmental. The church does judge. He's making judgments right here between the strong and the weak. He's making his own judgments. The church can make judgments over sin and doctrinal error. That's how we maintain the purity of the church. What Paul's saying is don't make judgments on disputable matters. That way we can maintain the unity of the church. We don't want the unity to suffer. Now, we don't want truth to be compromised either. But on disputable matters, Paul's saying that's an area where we can agree to disagree so that we can live in harmony. You do this in your marriages. And we're called to do this in the church as well. So where do you think you fall? Uh, do you think you are you part of the strong group, or do you think you're part of the weak group? You know, w- when you walk in to the church, are you saying, "Hey, that preacher is wearing blue jeans when he's preaching"? That hasn't happened in 20 years here. Kieran, I thought it'd be appropriate, you know, for this Sunday to bust him out. <laughs> it's amazing what makes us giggle and laugh at it. But, but do you walk in and say, hey, the preacher's not wearing a tie. What's up with that? Or, or why aren't they playing more hymns in this church? Or, you know what? I saw that guy, a beard, he's drinking his beer and he's sharing Jesus in a bar. What's, what's going on there? Or can you believe they read from that version? If those things come up into your mind, you're evidencing a degree of weakness. It, it, so... If you walk into the church and say, wow, they got pews. I mean, that's so archaic. Look, they're only singing hymns, and the guy's wearing a suit and a tie. Who wears a suit and a tie anymore? But what we find is that people probably, we have strengths. We're part of the strong in some ways. We're part of the weak in other ways. You know, it, it's, this, it's a struggle that we have these, these trouble with disputable matters, and we tend to look down on those that don't seem as free as us And we tend to judge as unspiritual those not as strict as us. And what Paul's saying is, uh, there's plenty of reasons to not do that. Uh, In fact, i got to tell you, so so one time a woman comes into the church. This is years ago. Nobody knows her here. (laughs) So stop trying to figure out who it might be. She comes in. The first thing she says to me, thanks me for the service and, said, so there's a lot of people doing it besides me. But she goes, are you a six-day creationist? And I said, I've never created anything in six days. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I said, the first service got that a lot quicker and a lot more profoundly. But I, I said, do you, do, you, do you care what we think about the nature of Jesus Christ and his person and his work? Do you care about what we understand the gospel to be? Or, or do you care? And she said, no, I want to know what you think on creationism. And uh, I probably said something like, I believe you created it all. And it didn't satisfy her. But for her, that was a top-tier issue. That was a top-tier issue as opposed to, that's what we're speaking about here. Are we strong or are we weak? Because Paul tells us clearly, uh, we, we don't want to pass judgment. We want to welcome all. And the first reason he gives us is that we've all been welcomed by God. Look with me at the end of verse 3 and 4. He says, For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, Paul's argument is simply this that, that we don't want to pass judgment on somebody who has freedoms. And we don't want to look with disdain on somebody that lives with more scruples because God has already accepted them. God has already justified them. God has already already vindicated them. God has already adopted them. They're already part of God's family. So we don't need to be looking down or bringing judgment to them. And his argument is this. They're not your servant. They don't have to live by your scruples. They don't have to live by your freedoms. They are God's servant, not yours they will stand before God, and God promises, thankfully, that he is able to make them stand, and we need him to help us. It says, he who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ. I'm thankful for that. You know, in Romans chapter 8, we just learned this a few months ago. He says, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? He says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Graciously give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God justifies. He accepts. We're called to accept people that have different opinions on these disputable matters. Now, how accepting do you feel that you are of other people? I I mean, how on issues of schooling, let's say, if they homeschool versus public school or, or issues of, political views, or music, differences in music, differences in dress, differences in translation of the Bible, uh, differences in, on entertainment, for example. You know, when you look at your circle of friends, if they look like you, if they have the same political views, they have the same schooling choices, uh, they have the same, the same dress as you, you probably need to bust up your circle a little bit. You know, There's this idea of accepting those who are different. There's actually a lot of value in it. Perspectives are brought to you that you might not have had. So the first reason he gives us simply is this, that, that we are called to not pass judgment, to not look down, but to welcome, because God has welcomed us. Who among us doesn't need the overwhelming grace of God to save us? So then who are we to pull out the particulars and hold them in judgment over those things. The second reason he gives us is that we're all servants of God. Look with me at 5 to 9. In 5 to 9, he says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, he eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Do you see the freedom that we have here? Paul's saying it doesn't matter what position you hold. If you like to have wine or you don't. If you abstain and eat only vegetables or if you eat meat. He goes, it doesn't matter. He just says, whatever you do, do it as unto God. Do it so that God's honored. Do it rightly so that God would be honored. I mean, that is the purpose why he came and died, to make us his own. And then why are we fighting over these secondary issues? Paul's saying if it's a disputable matter, now there's no doubt, sometimes there's struggle figuring out what the disputable matters are. But if it's a disputable matter, seen in the history of the church, then then just do it for the glory of God. His caveat is simply this. His caveat is be convinced in your own mind. In other words, to be convinced means that you're settled after giving prayer and thought and counsel from other believers and and Scripture. Be convinced in your own mind. That doesn't mean you need to convince other people of what you feel is right. It just simply means you need to be convinced about what you think is right and then live that way for the glory of God. That's why Augustine said, love God and do what you want. If you really love God, you're going to follow him and your your lives will get in line with him. It's so important. You know, when you think about since chapter 12, here, the spiritual gifts, a very important topic. He spins four verses loving one another In the church, he spends about nine verses. Uh, The issues of dealing with our enemies, he spends about four verses. Dealing with the government, he spends about seven verses. He spends a whole chapter on this one because he knows the difficulty of it. If he didn't write this chapter, we might end up with a Roman Christian church and a Jewish Christian church. We've got the veggies on the one side, we've got the meat lovers on the other side. Uh, Churches break up over this stuff. They really bust up over these secondary issues. You don't think they do. There are books written about church splits. So we are all God's servants. We've been accepted by God. We're all God's servants. And then the third reason that you see here is in 10 to 12, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us. Look at what he says there in 10 to 12. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? That is, I think he's speaking there to the weak one. He's saying, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And he says to the strong one, he says, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen to what he's saying here. He is not not saying suspend your critical faculties. He is not saying don't be discerning. He's simply saying don't pass judgment. And What he means by passing judgment is it's like a censoriousness. It's kind of like I'm putting my play, myself in the place of God and I am rendering a judgment about the spirituality of another person because of their behavior with these disputable matters. He's saying that's off the table. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That word for judgment is Bema, the Bema seat of Christ. Paul is before the Bema seat. Uh, when he's with Festus in Caesarea. The Bema seat was a place of rendering a verdict from a high authority. And what Paul is saying to us is you will stand before Christ's judgment seat. Each one of us will. Now listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is something to take notice of. That every single person in this world, everyone who has been created in the image of God is going to stand before him. We're told in Revelation, the books of life are opened. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, will be laid before you. No one will pass that bar. God is holy and he's just. And, and this is a, a warning in Scripture out of the mercy of God that we might seek Christ. The whole point of of making it clear that none pass the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody's going to have justification or blame shifting, or I've got these reasons and that reasons, and I had this parent, and I had this situation. None of that flies. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. This is the beauty of the gospel, is that the gospel provides a deliverer, a deliverer to come and to bear all the contents of Tom's book of life upon himself and suffer under the wrath of God, that Tom might be free. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, consider what will you say on that day? Who will deliver you? Who will exonerate you? What will you bring that God might accept you? There's one provision that he's given to us. It's Jesus Christ, faith alone in Christ, saves. if you're here as a Christian, you're wondering, well, how does the judgment seat work for me? Well, you're not going to be judged as terms of are you with God or not. You've already read in Romans chapter 8, nothing will separate you from the love of God. And and you won't be judged either in terms of punishment. We've already read in Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, then what's the judgment about? Well, the judgment is about how have we lived I mean, let's just go back. Let's just stick in Romans for just a minute. Have you presented your bodies as living sacrifices to God? Have you used your gifts for the benefit of other people in this church? Have you loved genuinely? Have you, have you worked to show honor to others? Have you held fast to what is good? Have you been patient in tribulation? This is just chapter 12, 9 all the way to 17. Have you done good to those who have done evil to you? Have you obeyed the government in chapter 13? Have you discharged your duty of love to those in your life? Chapter 13, 8 forward. Have you walked away from the deeds of darkness? Chapter 8, 10 to 13, or chapter 13, uh, 10 to 13. I mean, you just read the last two chapters. Those things, what did we do with our lives? I don't think Paul's trying to scare us here. I don't think he's trying to cause you to fear. I think he's being kind to us. Just like when a professor gives you a syllabus and he says, these are the dates you need to have this stuff done. It's a kind thing to do. I can, pl- I can be prepared. I want this day for us, that day before the judgment seat of Christ. I-, I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You want the same thing. But we have to prepare for that. That just doesn't happen. So so the three reasons to live in this principle, don't judge when you have differences of opinion with people on disputable matters. Try not to bring judgment. Try not to look down with disdain. Think first, they have been accepted just as I have by God's sheer grace. They are a servant of the Lord just as I am a servant of the Lord. They will stand before the judgment seat of Christ just as I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Allow those things to mitigate your tendency, to be kind of picky about where the... It's always easier to find the differences that we have with people rather than to find the commonalities. So strive for the commonalities, the commonality that we have in the gospel. The gospel should have a gravitational pull to it, kind of like a black hole pulls everything towards it. The gospel, our love for Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us, The saving work, the interceding work with the Father right now, it it is like a gravity pulling us all that that becomes, for us, what keeps us together. Now, how do we do this? That's the question. Okay, great. You've convinced me. You know, I should have offended everybody at this point. Uh, At least the first service told me that I had. So everybody should be offended. So so what do we do going forward for this? Well, let me just give you six ideas six ideas first let's be aware that we do have disputable matters we have them in this church so what are they well in an old bygone day it might be uh, women wearing mascara or lipstick it may be going to the theater it might have been playing cards it might have been dancing it might have been alcohol it might have been versions of the bible Uh, Today it's a little different, not completely, but we have our own disputable matters. How do you school your children would be one. Alcohol continues to be an issue. Uh, The issue of how preachers or how we dress, what kind of entertainment do we watch. Um, There's political views, there's views of creation, you know. So there's all kinds of, of things that we can still find dispute over. I want you to realize, though, that a lot of the positions we hold are driven by a number of factors, not just your knowledge of the scriptures, it's driven by your temperament. Some of us are just more rule-driven. We feel more comfortable obeying the rules. Our temperament is we have more scruples. Our consciences are tender. We don't want to feel guilty, so we try to stay in the lines that that are put down for us. Uh, that drives us to be more group. Some of us just we want to be free spirits. We don't want it. You know, we just want wide and open spaces. So temperament does influence the way we look at certain ideas and texts. So does experience. Your experience will drive how you view these disp- these disputable matters. So, for example, if you're raised in a family, and both your parents were just destructive alcoholics, I can see you probably saying, "I need to abstain from wine." I get that. I totally get that. You know, your experience will color the way you look at and hold these disputable matters. So culture, the way you were raised, you may be raised in a southern Christian culture. You may not have been, but but you're going to see things. You've been maybe raised in a church that was very proper and very high church. Pastor guys wore a suit. It seems kind of casual, almost disrespectful to God for me to be up here in jeans. I understand that. I totally do. We could go to the Middle East right now and worship with some of them. Most of the women will have their heads covered. None of you have your heads covered. Uh, would they then look at us and say, Do they have no respect for God? Well, no. I mean, the differences of opinion on these things. So, so we want to be free there in terms of being gracious to one another, recognizing the temperament, experience, age. You know, when you're young, And this is true of those studying theology. When you're very young, uh, things are very black and white. It's very clear what is right and what's wrong. You get a little bit older, you gray out a little bit, not just up there, uh, but but you you tend to realize that the things I was fighting for, why did I fight for those? I I, I made a mountain out of a molehill on that. Uh, So recognize that we have our disputable matters here. We want to fight for unity in that. But then secondly, I would say be proportional. In other words, in responding to people who have different views than you, be proportional. What I mean is, if it's not a huge deal, don't make it a huge matter. Kevin DeYoung wrote something very helpful here. He says, there is no problem when some feel strongly about homeschooling or the placement of prayer in the service or the frequency of communion. The problem comes when our passions over these issues exceed our passion for the gospel or for the cross, or for the lost, or for the afflicted. Not every issue matters as much as every other issue. So we want to be proportional. You know, so I see this frequently in terms of when I'm, I'm talking with a marital couple, and they come in, they have a conflict, they want encouragement. How do I walk forward in this conflict? As they begin to explain the conflict, the guy says, well, it happened last Wednesday again, last Wednesday, boom, boom, and he, explain, he begins to explain the conflict. Women say, no, it was Tuesday morning. She goes, no, because I remember the trash cans were out. He he says, no, I'm convinced it was Wednesday. And all of a sudden, I'm putting my hands up, and I'm going, I don't actually, let's just call it Friday and call it even. But we get concerned over details and secondary issues when we don't go after the real thing. And and so just react in proportion. If it's an issue that is not a huge issue, then, then don't fight over it as as if it's a first level issue. And then thirdly, I would say be gracious to one another. In other words, just because we disagree, it doesn't mean we have to be disparaging, or it doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful. And when I say disagree uh, nicely or be gracious, I'm saying try to understand their position. Why do you think that way? What is informing your conscience on this issue? Try to understand, you may find they have a background You're like, I I get that now. I'm sympathetic. You know, when you hear the other side of the story, you're like, wow, I'm sorry about that. I didn't know all that was behind that position. Notice, I I hope you do, when the text was read and when it's spoken about next week, Paul never tells the weak to eat meat. He never says you ought to mature up. You ought to grow up and start eating meat like the rest of us or have a little bit of wine. He, He doesn't call for them to change. He wants their consciences developed. He wants them to be informed by Scripture and by the counsel of other believers. But he doesn't tell, you got to change and become like us. He says, be patient with them. Be gentle with their their struggles. So we can be gracious with people. And, and And then fourth, I would say, be mindful that when we do bring judgment to people, it is hurtful. I think most of us here have been on the receiving end of someone's Judgment about them looking down on us, perhaps, for the positions that we hold? Or perhaps they feel we're less spiritual because of the positions that we hold? We can really, we can really be, be hurtful. There was a time years back we worked with uh, a church in a very, very difficult part of West Virginia, and we would come alongside and help the church do things in the community to help promote the church's position in the community. We'd invite people to come to church, and I remember one young man came to the church after we did this evangelism and, and we had a big cookout and all that sort of thing. And the pastor, the young man came in the door and the pastor said, where's your belt? And the uh, and, uh, kid didn't have anything to say. And uh, go and get a belt. And the uh, kid didn't come back. Surprise. You know, a belt. I mean, don't, don't, doesn't that just make you feel like, ugh, what in the world are we doing? That's what it looks like. And that's what we all do. So, so when I pastored in Michigan, there was, a, uh, there was a liberal United Methodist Church pastored by a woman. Don't think she believed in the resurrection. Uh, and then there was a fundamentalist, independent fundamentalist church on the other side of me. And uh, it was really interesting that the pastor of the fundamentalist church came with one of his uh, leaders and began to question me about the gospel. I didn't mind that. He was probably trying to figure out where I was, what did I believe. That was fine, no problem at all. But as he began his questioning, he started going down his independent fundamentalist track about versions of all that. And I felt myself being judged as if I'm somehow not mustering up to his theological baseline to be acceptable. And, And I found myself actually being hurt by that. But, of course, being the sinner that Tom is, I began to disdain him and look down on him because I don't think he read more than two theological books in his whole life, didn't have an understanding of church. And here I am, I'm going, what am I doing? I'm sensing the hurt of being judged, and yet I'm returning the favor in like measure. The world watches us. And when we start shooting our wounded, and when we start judging on these particulars, it is problematic for the gospel to be believed to be this unifying of sinful man to a holy God when sinful people can't even get together. So so, so recognize it's hurt. And, And then fifth, be convinced of your own position. Be convinced of what you believe. In other words, search scriptures, pray, Seek counsel, seek wisdom. But when I say I want you to be convinced about what you believe on these disputable matters, I want you to be convinced for you. I don't want you to proselytize other people that they have to be convinced like you're convinced. And this sometimes happens, particularly between parents as they're choosing schooling options, homeschooling or public schooling. And, 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 and what they do. what the scripture says is, Train up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't tell you how. Both are options. Be convinced in your own mind, whether it's with alcohol or schooling or whether it's the type of dress. Is this R-rated movie good or bad? Dating. How do I celebrate Halloween? I mean, there's a slew of these things that we can measure out and say, be convinced in your own mind. Seek God to inform your conscience because you will stand before him on how you handle the issue. Not how they did. And not how you were able to convince others of it. So let's be convinced in our own mind with generalists. And then last, be mindful of the final day. Be mindful of that day. Again, it's not a point of fear-mongering or trying to get us to all get in the same camp. We will have a day where we'll stand before God, not for others, but for ourselves. Have we been faithful? to have lived in obedience to what we know. And and it's a day that I think is sobering. I'm thankful for the warning. I'm thankful to be able to give you that this day comes to all of us. Be mindful of that. So when you think of a harsh word against somebody that may not be doing it like you're doing it, when you tend to look down on somebody because of the freedoms they exercise, maybe pray for them or encourage them in some other point of agreement that you do have. But when you think to move with a degree of derision or judgmentalism or disdain, looking down or feeling arrogant because you know so much more, just think about that day. And what will it be like for you? And and let it just, let it move you to greater compassion and greater unity. Because Paul, this, can't, this principle that he gives is a really important principle. Do not judge, do not disdain, don't pass judgment, but welcome them. How welcoming are we? On these disputable matters, how welcoming are we? And, and know that all of us, we've all been accepted, we all have the same Lord, we're all servants of the same Lord, and we're all going to stand before the same God. So let's take a moment now. And, and I, I hope I haven't hurt anyone in particular. But maybe everybody in general. In terms of bringing about some degree of working through these differences. I, I, I ask a number of the staff. I, I don't want this to sound harsh. If I have sound harsh then I've missed the mark. So won't we take a minute and just perhaps repent. You, you might even want to apologize to some people that you have. Look down your nose at or held in derision. It might be a place of repentance and, uh, and seeking forgiveness uh, or a point of rejoicing even that we have such a kind God calling us to live together with our differences. And, th- and then I'll pray for us in a moment.